about that. Let you decide what that means as we go. Please turn to Acts 2. This evening is March 10th. It is 2010. Our message is called The Fool Message. I want to encourage you if you are experiencing adversity, that is a normal part of the Christian life. You do not oppose, you do not double team, you do not even guard somebody on the opposite team that is not a threat to you. But when somebody is dangerous, anybody remember who Reggie White was? Reggie White was, uh, he played for the Green Bay Packers, they called him the Minister of Defense. There was rarely a play in a single football game where Reggie White did not have at least two people trying to block him because it took at least two. So when people watch game film, they watch to see what he would do. This could be discouraging if you're Reggie White, or it could be a great honor that it took opposition in his life to keep him from wreaking havoc on the enemy. I want to tell you, if you are experiencing opposition, it is because the enemy knows you have the potential to wreak havoc in his kingdom. 1 John 3, 8 says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So let me ask you, what business are you in? Because we need to be in the business of destroying the devil's work. You can do this one life, life at a time. When people have been lied to, when they've been stolen from, when they've been abused, hurt, neglected, when hell has been extended into their life, you can choose to extend love, peace, restoration, holiness, righteousness into their lives, and you begin to tear down His work. How many of you got filled with the Holy Ghost in this ministry? Look at that. Most of you here in Texas differently than when I came from Louisiana. When I came from Louisiana, most of the people that were getting filled with the Holy Ghost had no idea it was possible, you know? They were Catholic or Baptist and didn't know it was even a possibility. But most that got filled with the Holy Ghost here in Houston got filled because they were in churches that were lied to about it. Uh, put up as a, a symbol, uh, a merit badge of, uh, look how great we are or how bad you are if you don't do this. And God extended His kingdom into your lives by tearing away the fleshly work of men and doing something that was born of His Spirit. This is how our King works. He advances His kingdom one life at a time. In Acts 1, you hear that Jesus says, uh, Do not leave Jerusalem. This is Acts 1, verse 4. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. These men had walked with Jesus. They had done miracles. They had seen Lazarus raised. But they were not fit to go out and minister to the world until they had been thoroughly immersed in Jesus' Spirit. And it didn't just happen one time. It happened many times throughout the book of Acts. Programs, uh, the work of the flesh, the work of the intellect, will not reach the nations. It will not destroy the devil's work. In fact, he's very comfortable working in anything that the arm of man is present in. But he is not welcome to work with those who are filled and operating and moving in God's Spirit. See, here, here would be a slight difference. I am studying tonight, right? I have a message. In fact, these are the notes for that message, right? It's eight pages. And I have an idea of what I would like to share. I even know, because I've been preaching a long time, what points might get a rise out of you, what points might bring conviction to you, and it could simply be a demonstration of Eric's speaking ability. 
But during the message, during the worship, the Holy Ghost begins to move in my life. He says, I would like to go a different direction. If we are entrenched in the affairs of men, if we have our own program that we exalt above God's, I would simply say, no, no. God gave me this, so I'm going to stick with this. Although he didn't really do that, right? Do you think that that ever occurs? I want to assure you it does. And what happens is people do not get what they should get, and the church has got square wheels, and it gets malnourished, and it's underpowered. It's supposed to have a giant V12, and it's operating on about three cylinders. And over time, it begins to get weak and emaciated, and the signs that are supposed to follow believers don't, because we did not wait on His power. You are not fit to minister the gospel without His power. Now, here is the beautiful thing. His power is perfectly displayed in weak vessels. So the more fragile you feel, the more inadequate you feel, the more all the competency, all the power that flows from Him can flow through you without you retaining any of the credit. He said to them that they would receive power, verse 8, when, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I want you to contrast these two ideas. Wait in Jerusalem. Don't go. Gather together. Wait. Stay. Camp. Stop. Until you receive power. When you receive power, don't camp. Don't stay. Don't gather. Go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the very ends of the earth. It's a little bit like a football team that never took the time to get into a huddle and find out what they should be doing. They were to huddle in Jerusalem and wait for God's power to come upon them. And then they were fit everywhere they went. What committee met and told Philip what to preach? What committee met? Who sent from Springfield, Missouri his notes for his message to the Ethiopian eunuch? The Holy Ghost came upon him in power and he obeyed. Gabriel Mays will leave here in about three weeks. He'll be in a different state. He will not call back here and say, Eric, what should I preach this Sunday? And I won't call the Vatican and ask for permission either. But the Holy Spirit that speaks to me will speak to him. And to the extent that either of us is able to yield, the perfect word of God comes forth. The perfect size bite for the people to cling to. In Acts 2, when the Holy Ghost descended upon the people... This was like a rushing ball of fire that had lit Solomon's altar, that had filled the tabernacle of Moses, that had displayed as something to lead all Israel in a glory cloud for 40 years. They knew what this was. And it was so powerful, a raging fire, that you could hear it like rushing wind. It caught everybody's attention. And in Acts 2 it says, They spoke as the Spirit enabled them. If your concept of the baptism in the Holy Ghost has ever been that you are a mindless automaton, that God forces something upon you, nothing in the kingdom works this way. Salvation doesn't work that way. He doesn't force it upon anyone. Constantine ran people through rivers under the threat of a sword. They ran through the river scared. They came out the other side scared, and they were lost on either side of the bank. And so was Constantine, who drove them. You come to a saving knowledge of Jesus when you begin to trust Him because you love Him, not because He makes you. You get filled with His power when you begin to trust Him and believe He is enabling you, not because He makes you. 
I understand some of my UPC brothers travail. And they travail to the point that they beg God to do something to them that they think cannot be done. I want to encourage you. Once you learn that God wants to do this, you don't need to beg. He wants to do this. It's available all of the time. The devil works against these things. By the time we get to Acts 3, there are amazing miracles that are occurring. Peter and John don't have silver and gold to give someone, but they are speaking the words of life and people are responding and a crippled is healed. And this rocks Jerusalem at its very core. So that by the time this happens, in Acts 4 where we will pick up, Peter and John are being called before the Sanhedrin. Here is the thing. I have now been in Jesus for 17 years. I want you to know that most of the opposition, most of the adversity that God has allowed in my life has come from one place and one place only. It is not the demonic hordes. It is not the lost. There are not people running out of bars tackling me from behind a pulpit and asking me to be quiet. Your opposition always comes from those who did not wait in Jerusalem comes from those who operate in the flesh and the mind of man. They have created for themselves programs and religious shackles. And they resent seeing you operate outside of them. And when you move under the power of God and you see cripples healed and you see the power of God at work, they think you don't deserve it because you don't wear the same shackles they wear. For 17 years now, my opposition in ministry has come from within the religious establishment. Peter and John stood before these men. I would not have picked Peter and John any more than I think Jesus should have picked me. Listen to what the observation is about them. Verse 13, 4, 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. They took note that these men had been with Jesus, I don't want people to notice a perfectly working program about us. I don't want them to notice holy dress about us. I don't want them to notice a beautiful building about us. I want them to feel the tangible presence of God with us. On this I have taken my stand. I have been offered the kingdoms of the world as far as uh, the denominational world goes. But if it means that I have to forsake that tangible feeling of God's presence and exchange it for stained glass-like holiness, I will not do it. And if you don't know what I mean by stained glass-like holiness, there's nothing wrong with stained glass. There's nothing wrong with religious dress. There's nothing wrong with recited readings until those things are all you have and there is no presence or power of God. How many people do you know that began in fire? but because of the pressure upon them, simply submitted to religious ways. And people are no longer moved when they preach. Altars are no longer filled. Sinners are not saved. The sick are prayed for from a distance anonymously because it's been years since anybody saw a healing. This was never what God intended for His church. If you've submitted to this, it's wrong. If you've tolerated it, it's wrong. Jesus' beautiful bride is to be clothed in power. And friends, that power is like dynamite. We must begin to dare to believe. We must be willing to wait until we have clarity in the Spirit. And people need to take note that we have been with Jesus. These men were 
beaten. <coughs> In Acts 5, they are beaten. But before they're beaten, I want you to hear the believer's prayer. This is Acts 4, verse 13. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Look at verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Not only were they filled in Acts 2, they were filled again corporately in Acts 4. And would it surprise you that in nearly every chapter of Acts, they are filled again and again and again. We must shed the attitude that says, what must I do to be accepted? And now I have arrived. We must shed the attitude that said, I was saved and points backwards to an experience. And adopt the attitude that says, I am being saved. And it is an ongoing relationship, an ongoing filling, an ongoing salvation, an ongoing dependency upon Jesus. There is no status to be achieved in the kingdom. There is only service to be rendered. There is no position to be achieved in the kingdom. There is only prayer to be offered and power to be received. I know that this is not the popular message. It would be much easier just to stand and say, you already have all that you could ever need. You're all beautiful. You're all wonderful. And yet, we go on not seeing the sick healed. Not seeing the prayers filled. Not seeing all of these things. In fact, we can no longer say we don't have silver and gold because the church is laden with wealth. But the church no longer looks at cripples and says, stand up and walk. I want to tell you today that it can change. It can change when ordinary men and women dare to do extraordinary things because they wholeheartedly believe they have received power. Come on, is it difficult for you to say, I have received power? Come on, look, can you say it with me? I have received power. I wonder if you really believe that, then why do we sit back idly? Why are we scared? Why are we waiting for God to do something to us when He is waiting to do something through us? Yeah. Amen. The church of the living God cannot lay down in pews while the world goes to hell and say, I have received power. So instead, we just ignore it altogether. Yeah. We're just old poor sinners saved by grace. What a lie. You were an old sinner. Right. Now you are filled Hallelujah. with power. I tell you, to the extent you believe that, you know what will happen? You will act like it. When you're standing by and two giants are fighting, if you don't believe that you have the power to intervene, you don't. You simply watch and say, ah, oh, what can we do? But if you believe that you have the power to do something about it, you do something about it. Church, we must wake up and realize what we've been given. You are clothed in power. All of the religious establishment of these men's day set out to stop them. Look at Acts 5, verse 17. 
Then the high priest and his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees. It's a funny thing about the Sadducees. The Sadducees were the religious aristocracy. They all had positions. You could call them full-time Christian ministers, as if there is any other kind of Christian minister. Friends, if you know somebody who's a part-time Christian minister, run from them. Minister means service, servant. All of us are full-time Christian ministers. It's unfortunate that the idea of professional priesthood has so run rampant in the church that we would exclude Paul because he kept a job. Did you know that the Jews taught the Torah is not a spade with which to earn a living? Meaning it's not a shovel that you dig ditches with so that you can earn money? I wonder how many people, if they did not receive a salary, would still show up to preach. Which begs the question, do you preach for money? Or do you preach because it is your life and you happen to receive an income from it? When men of God look at you and say things like, I'm about to get out of this business altogether, it should make you wonder whether they were ever in God's economy to start with. I want to tell you, we are filled with power for a purpose. It says, then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. You know what makes people jealous? Makes them jealous when they see that you do not wear the shackles they do and yet God is with you. Nobody does those things because they want to. You think that these priests wore the, the garments that they did? Performed the priestly duties that they did because they were simply excited about slaughtering thousands and thousands of animals? They did it because they thought that they had to. This is not a referendum on Judaism. I want you to understand that these men loved their position. They didn't love God. They loved their position so much that when men were standing dripping with the Spirit of God, what they were filled with was not admiration. What they were filled with was not a godly awe. What they were filled with was a jealousy. The same men sought to kill Lazarus after he was raised from the dead. The same men purposed in their heart to kill the author of life because of jealousy. And now what stands before them are apostles and they are filled with jealousy. Is it because of their education? No, they were ordinary men. Is it because of their dress? No, they were ordinary men. Is it because of their wealth? No, they were ordinary men. So don't you believe these liars when they get on television and tell you that it is your wealth, your charisma, your perfect life that draws people to Jesus in you. They are liars and they want your money. When you are an ordinary person who is equipped by an extraordinary God and a natural man doing supernatural things, people begin to take notice. When you have courage, when they do not. When you have freedom, when they only find shackles. They begin to want what you have. Saints, but you must have these things. You must have these things. Do not accept a substitute. Listen to this. They were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in a public jail. They're always seeking to restrain, to confine. Don't let this get out. Don't let people understand that you don't need the wide phylacteries, the flowing tassels. Don't let people know that all you need is to be clothed with Christ. Because it threatens their very position. How would you feel if you invested a great deal in an education in a particular venue? 
to get a piece of paper on the wall, but you lack the clothing with power. And now stands before you an ignorant garbage man who has spent time with Jesus and is in love with Him and is clothed with power you do not have. How would you feel? Like you wasted your life? Like you wasted your education? Like you had been lied to? Well, there's a couple ways you can respond to something like that. You can seek to squelch it. You can hate it. You can be filled with jealousy. You can try to kill it. Or you can submit and want to be like them. It is only the humble that will be exalted. It is only the lowly and the poor of spirit that Jesus chooses to fill. But when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, regardless of your education, regardless of your clothing, regardless of your economic status, you will be filled with righteousness. So I ask you, what do you want? Do you want status in favor of men? Or do you want to be filled to the measure of fullness with righteousness? There is a constant pressure upon those that have been clothed with power. And it is not to deny Jesus. It's not to not speak in His name. It is simply to alter the message, to make the message a little more palatable. Listen to their request. They arrested the apostles and put them in a public jail, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. There is not a prison that you can be put in that God cannot release you from. They can threaten your paycheck. They can threaten your life and the lives of your family. But they cannot lay a finger on you that God does not allow. Do you know how many times people have tried to shut down our meetings? Lord, as soon as I got to Houston and we started a meeting on the campus of the University of Houston, all of the people from one denomination started coming to it. What do you think happened? Oh, they decided to start a meeting from that denomination at the same time on the other side of the campus. They weren't meeting on that night before. Why? Because they were jealous. And when that didn't work, they met with me and told me that I did not have the right to teach their people. So I moved the meeting to the cafeteria where they had no right to tell me what to do. I said, I don't think you understand. You, you misjudge me. I said, what do you mean? I said, I am not Baptist. So what's that have to do with anything? I'm not under your authority. I don't have to do what you tell me to do. I'm under the authority of the living God. And when they ask me what the problem is, I tell them, get filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. And you know what? They did. We need to decide. Are we going to water it down? Are we going to make it more palatable? Or are you going to have an unashamed enthusiasm for the King of Kings? The devil will tell you you can reach the masses if you just make it more palatable. What will you be reaching them with? More of the same? It's working so well now, is it not? Listen to the, the uh, temptation here. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts. There is no more public place in Israel than the temple courts, he said. And tell the people the full message of this new life. The temptation is not to stop the message. The devil's already concluded he cannot stop it. They've already beat them. They've already imprisoned them. He cannot stop the message. But what he can do is he can tame it. He can make it a little more palatable. He can say, don't be so offensive. Don't be so divisive. Don't you dare do these things. Instead, let's just all get along. 
I want to submit to you that the King of Kings was one of the more divisive human beings that has ever walked the planet. And he said that this gospel message of the kingdom would divide father against son and mother against daughter. That he didn't come to bring peace, he came to bring the sword. So, well, what on earth does that mean? He's got a winnowing fork in his hand. And he will divide the wheat from the chaff. The wheat he brings into his barn and he baptizes in his spirit. The chaff he baptizes in an unquenchable fire. You know the charge that was given in Acts 7? Stephen spoke it to all of religious Israel. It was not you deny Jesus, although that was true. It was not your mean. It was not your ugly. It was not you don't understand the word. <coughs> he said, you stiff-necked people, you always resist the Holy Spirit. See, we can sit around and agree to disagree intellectually. We can sit around and work out our doctrines. We can sit around and justify our stances. But one question remains for every human being on the earth. Are you being obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit? Are you quenching Him? The devil wants to keep the full message from being preached. How much Jesus do you want? About half? About 50%, 70%, 80%? Is this a full gospel church? Well, how much gospel is it that you would like, my friend? About three-fourths? You'd like to be a three-quarters Christian? Because I want it all. I want every bit of it, and I don't particularly care whether it is palatable or not. I found out that those who are hungry for righteousness love the way it tastes. Those that are hungry for religion hate it. The temptation has always been to water down the message to reach the masses. Turn on the TV. Is it happening? Next time somebody tells you I'm saved, ask from what? What are you saved from? To what? Where are you going? And for what? Why are you saved? See if you can get an answer. When there are 20,000 people in a church, but 19,999 of them cannot answer that question, then saved for what? From what? To what? What difference does it make? This is a little bit like enlisting the masses in the army, but giving them no gun. Pointing them not in the direction of the enemy. Just saying, let's sit together and sing about how wonderful we are. Jesus Christ came to destroy the work of the devil. And you must be empowered to do it. And the enemy is working to keep people from being empowered. Could there be a worse situation to be in than to think that you're okay, but you're completely idle and doing nothing? Listen to what he goes on to tell you. Verse 29. We skipped a bunch, so... Pick up with me in 29. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We're witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who... Obey Him. It is not enough to have the right doctrine. It is not enough to intellectually ascend to the right issues. It is not enough to sit back and agree. Even the demons in hell know who God is. But His Holy Spirit is given as a supernatural sign that you're obeying Him and walking in faith. And He empowers you. He is like a deposit placed in you to guarantee that you get where you are supposed to go. But we are warned, do not quench Him. 
Do not put out His fire. As many as are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. Since we have access to the nuclear bomb, we have access to unimaginable power. You are more dangerous than a GI with an M16. You are the Rambo of the spiritual world. But when we sit back and we don't really believe we have it, we wait for some great man of God, some figure in a distance to come and do it all. You are denying God's saving work in your own lives. If your first thought when you encounter problems is, let's call pastor, you've missed the point. You might as well call the Pope. You have been filled with power. Do you honestly believe that my prayer has any more efficacy than yours? Look, Pastor, I want you to pray for my mother's cousins, sisters, brothers, dogs, aunts, cats, dog. I know that's not possible, right? I get those. No doubt. Because God has called me, He can anoint me to do that. But if it's a concern on your heart, who do you think he anointed most to do it? We have a tendency to want to pay a holy fee, to go to a holy place, to watch a holy man do holy things. And it is not right. You are the holy people. You were filled with power. You were the witnesses. You are the body of Christ. That's you. Who told you that you were not powerful? Who told you you couldn't shut the heavens when you prayed? Who's been lying to you, stealing from you, and killing you? Who told you that to receive a paycheck you had to do what those people said? I don't work for a church. I work for the King of Kings. And if all of you disappeared tomorrow, you know who would still be faithful? He would. Praise God, He's added people to me that don't run if I sing out of town. Saints, I want to tell you, that what the religious authority decided to do here was, hmm, we can't stop you. So what we're going to do is beat you up and see if we can discourage you. They beat these men. Why did they beat them? They beat them because they were anointed of the Holy Ghost. It was not an argument over prophecies. It was not an argument over what Scripture said or didn't say. They beat them because they were ordinary men that were anointed of the Holy Ghost and their religious counterparts couldn't stand it. How shocked they must have been with this reaction. Look at the 40th verse of the 5th chapter. His speech persuaded them. This was Gamaliel that said, leave these guys alone. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. When we are beaten but anointed, where is the loss? They were excited to get to be treated like Jesus. What is your attitude? Do you feel completely martyred if one day doesn't go your way? Friends, we were meant to be in contention with the enemy. 
We were meant to be baptized in adversity so that we had to lean on His anointing. But we insulate ourselves from anything that might oppose us. We make nice with everybody around us, send out treaty delegations everywhere so that we can rely on our own strength and feel like we're doing okay. I want to encourage you. It is okay for people to get mad at you. In fact, if they're not, something might be wrong. You may not be ruffling enough feathers. I want to encourage you that the God of all comfort will take you and shake you by your holy shoulders to make you uncomfortable. He wants to put people in the middle of situations where they are beaten but rejoicing because others watch it and they see life in it. They see life in it. What would most people have done if they were imprisoned and beaten because of some, let's just say, doctrinal issue? They'd shut up. They'd quit talking about it. They would say religion's a private matter. These men never stopped testifying to the full message of Jesus. How are you doing on your workplace? How about your grocery store? How about in your churches? Do you really have liberty to say anything that Jesus would tell you to say? And if not, why have you accepted those shackles? Who is God? Them or Jesus? Who should you fear? Your boss or Jesus? Who should you fear? The lack of your paycheck or the one that has provided you the breath that you have in you? Saints, there is no place in the kingdom for cowards. And if you lack strength, ask Jesus for it and he will provide it to you. This is not for little storefront churches and faraway places. This is for every single believer. You're supposed to be the most radical revolutionary on the planet. Full of love. Unstoppable. Do you know what it means to rejoice? Watch this. It means to leap and spin. Leap and spin. They leapt and spun with joy because they were beaten for the gospel. You know why? It meant I'm dangerous to the enemy. He's attacking because he's scared. He's attacking because I can't be stopped. What do you think it means when you're at home in bed and religion's a private matter? And the way that you show excitement for Jesus is intensely personal and nobody would know it's there. You're Switzerland is what you are. Neutral in every major world conflict. Kingdom is clashing against kingdom. Pick your side and get on it. As Elijah said, if Baal is God, serve him. If the Lord is God, serve him. But pick a side and get on it. Saints, preachers have adopted all of these things to say time is short. Rapture could be any minute. Blah, 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 blah. I don't think it's any minute. I really don't think it's any minute. Hope that doesn't hurt your feelings. It's been imminent for 2,000 years, but I don't believe it's any minute. Do you really need it to be 30 seconds left on the clock before you get serious? Shouldn't I be able to say Jesus may not come back for another thousand years, but it makes no difference because Mario only has one life? Shouldn't we be able to say how many years have you wasted? Do you need to waste the rest? Do we need ridiculous preacher's tools to say, Nolan, you might not make it all the way home. Might as well go sell aluminum siding. If you are in love with Jesus and clothed with His power, you should be like Elijah or like Jeremiah said. He's like, fire shut up in my bones. Woe to me if I do not. Woe to me if I do not. 
Don't accept the shame that comes with having missed your opportunity. Don't accept the shame that comes with knowing you were a coward when you were called to be a saint. The living God has anointed you with power. And the enemy lies to you and he steals from you. And he has assembled a great number of men who are talkative about the gospel but do not know its power. They would tell you that they are the standard by which all men should be judged. Their degrees, their suits, their orderly worship is the way to go. And yet God does not honor their services with His presence. You need to decide. What do you value most? Religious dress code? Or clothing that came from above? I want to give you an idea here. There was a king and his name was David. But before he was ever a king, he was anointed with power. A man took a horn like this one and he poured out upon David an anointing that David did not get to see realized in kingship for many, many, many years. David was surrounded by adversity on every side. God's men are always surrounded by adversity. Do you remember the first kind of adversity that David had? You can read about it in 1 Samuel 16. Lions, bears... He's opposed by the natural elements. <coughs> He's sleeping outside. But what happened when a lion or a bear came and took one of his sheep? He learned to go seize it by its hair, strike it, and kill it. God was training him. How do you think God is training you? Through your blessings? How many of you really learn what... Uh, let, let's just speak natural wisdom here for a moment. Let's just say, uh, CJ's not in here tonight, Nine one. Let's just say that Mr. Judah is now driving age. Whose car do you think we should get? Fred's? <laughs> or Brandon's? Which car is more appropriate for Judah? Fred or Brandon's? Why? Why? Why is Brandon's car more fitting for Judah than Fred's? What is Judah going to do? He's got to learn to drive. In fact, you should probably wrap a giant inner tube around it, right? <laughs> How many teenagers should be given a, Maraz a Maserati or a Bentley, right? No, you give them a car that's already got some dents on it, right? Because you know it's going to get a few more. And when they prove faithful with that, what do they do? They save money, work hard, and buy another one. They are trained to persevere. You never had a car that you didn't know whether it would get you from one place to another. You don't know what it is to need proper maintenance. Boy, some of you should hear that message. I'm sick of fixing your cars. Adam's sick of fixing your cars. But after you've had one that you had to struggle to keep running for a while, you learn why you pay to change the oil. You learn why you do those things. While David is facing the adversity of the natural elements in 1 Samuel 16, he is learning why when something steals a sheep, you go after it, kill it, and get your sheep back. You don't just say, oh, well, it's okay, I got 99 more. He is learning the value of every individual sheep. You are being trained by adversity. What are you doing with it? What if he had gone and said, look, Mr. Lion, Mr. Bear, I've been thinking about it. Probably not worth the effort of all of our conflict. I tell you what, I'll let you have a sheep every now and then as long as you don't take too many. What he would be like is the American church. 
but David was filled with an anointing. He was filled with a power that said, do not take from me, I am the king of Israel, and I will surely take it back. Whose anointing are you filled with? Is it not the king of Israel? He moved on. He became a musician, a worshiper. He learned to handle even injurious spirits that had come upon Saul. And he learned to battle. He went on to learn to handle giants that faced a whole nation. But every step of the way through this adversity, David is progressing. He is persevering. He is learning to handle the anointing that God put in his life. Nowhere is there a time when he simply learns because blessings rained out of the sky. David did pretty good, didn't he? He knocked down the giant. You know what he did with his head? He cut it off and carried it around like a trophy. The one who had faced down lions and bears could now face down other kinds of giants. Eventually, he had to face an antichrist-like king who spent a decade trying to kill him. But David reached a place where he unified all of Israel, which is what God's calling on his life was to do. He literally subdued every enemy and put them under his feet. You know, that was the only time in David's life he got into serious trouble. Because when everyone else went off to war, David stayed home. The one time in his life he was not baptized in adversity, he forgot there was a war happening. He saw something he shouldn't see. And he did something he shouldn't do because he was thinking things he shouldn't think. And sin took him further than he wanted to go. You know what God did in return for David? He loved him. So he said, David, the sword will never again depart from your house. He baptized him in adversity again. And David fulfilled the calling on his life so that the book of Acts says, David did all that God purposed for him to do in his generation. Don't hate adversity in your life. You need to know that you were born for conflict with the enemy and it will most likely come from religious people. Let me ask you, if you go out here and one of the Buddhist brothers over there flips you off. How bad does that hurt your feelings? Like, golly, I wonder if he knows what that means. <laughs> Telling me I'm number one. But you go out here and a brother from a church that you love and you respect, he gives you a similar gesture. That hurts a little more, doesn't it? Don't be surprised that the enemy chooses weak vessels all around you. Members of your family. Members that are supposed to be body of Christ. You be clothed in power. You seek your approval from the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You be willing to take a beating and consider it something to rejoice over because you have the presence of God. Most of the time, they're just jealous that they don't. I met with my pastor today. I don't get to see him all that much anymore. For the first time, he looked a little older to me. I was able to look at my pastor, who had an amazing education as a welder, but for more than three decades has studied the Word of God every day and renewed his baptism in the Spirit on a daily basis so that he knows what it is to lay his hands upon a dead body and watch it come back to life. He knows what it is to lay his hands upon someone who has white pupils and see sight come back to them. 
And I looked him in the eye and I said, thank you, Pastor, because I do not feel second class to any of these other men. You taught me what it was to be clothed in God's power, in His Spirit. And saints, I am telling you, you'll be second to no one in the world if you simply seek all of Jesus and back away from none of His supernatural things. But you cannot do that. If God is calling you to go into the depths of the ocean, you cannot do it sitting in an aquarium. You need to be very careful that you don't hang out with compromisers or you become a compromiser. The proverb that if you lay down with dogs you will get fleas is true even of Christians. You cannot surround yourself by those that have given up their swords for a peace treaty with the enemy and expect that you will know what victory is. And saints, going to a church that is fired up does not make you fired up. At the end of the ages, when you stand before the King of Kings, He will not say, were you in Eric Stevens' church? He won't say, did you sit next to Matthew Pira? He will demand an accounting of your life. There is a danger of sitting very close to the fire and falling asleep in its warmth, but not actually participating in it yourself. I want to encourage you to be stirred in your righteous spirit. Ask God to fill you afresh. Have you ever prophesied? The Word says you can all prophesy. you ever seen healing done with your two hands as God flowed through you? The Word of God makes all of these things available to all of us. The biggest question is why not? Is it because there's not enough need out there? Really? You can't find a sick person? I bet there's a nursing home within five miles of here. I recently heard from somebody that they didn't see an opportunity to minister in Eric's church. There are no shackles upon you. Nobody's told you not to minister. I'm telling you every week, go minister. If you step out of bounds somewhere, we will gently tell you how to get back in bounds. We are not putting obstacles in your way. We're trying to kick you out of the nest. Go set the world on fire for Jesus. Light a bonfire so big that the enemy notices you and calls you by name. Then laugh in his face because he can't touch you. Quit tiptoeing through Christianity and go make a wake. Go make one. You know what? You couldn't stop me when I got born again. I didn't know two verses about Jesus in its true context and I handed out more than 10,000 tracts in a single weekend because I wanted to do something for Him. I got arrested the first weekend I was born again. And I'm not comparing you with me. I'm comparing us all with these men. I want to know, are you motivated to see a change? You go to a ministry called Life Changing Ministries. Are you a recipient only? Some of you, these are your most active years. I am so proud. Particularly a guy in here. has found a niche teaching people that nobody else wants to teach found a real purpose and excitement, a twinkle in his eyes. All of us have got one of those. All of you. you got to find it. A mom just started a Bible study in our church. She's excited because some Mormons came. What is your niche? Find it. There is nobody holding you back. You're clothed with power. Find it. Work in it. Ask for help and we will help you, but we will not do it. And I refuse to direct it. It is the work of the Holy Ghost. All of you are called to intercessory prayer. Why are our prayer meetings empty? Why an hour before the service are the same four or five people here praying? 
Where are the rest of you doing? You are clothed with power and your life makes a difference. It makes a difference. You just got to stand up and be heard. You need wisdom? Ask God. He'll give you more. You need more power? Ask Him. He will give you more. But dear God, don't sit back and watch the world go to hell while you just enjoy friends. Don't do it. Amen? The full message of the gospel is what is opposed. Don't deceive yourself by accepting about half of it. Don't deceive yourself. Embrace all of him or get all the way out of the faith and quit confusing the rest of us. Stand to your feet.